welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. So hi, uh, this is Nick Shepherd. I'm Open Research Advisor at the University of Leeds. And this is Jed Hall and I'm an Academic Development Consultant at Leeds. You're joining both of us for a bonus episode in our Research Culture Uncovered podcast. So far, our podcast has used seasons of around eight episodes, looking at different topics with... So mine was season three. Um, I was just checking back, actually. So that originally went out between February and April at the beginning of the year and focuses on open research. So that's covered topics including open practice in different disciplines. So that was discussing our open research case study project. I talked to Dr. Maddie Pownall um, about open research in the curriculum. So that's talking about some of her work, um, trying to embed open research training in the curriculum, uh, the undergraduate curriculum. I spoke with Hugh Shanahan, Professor of Open Science at Royal Holloway about fair data of first class research objects. So that's um, beyond, you know, the traditional peer-reviewed journal article, Dr. Alex Freeman, about the new Octopus Open Research Platform. So, yeah, lots of interesting conversations. Wikimedia and the Open Knowledge Revolution was another with Dr. Martin Porter. So, yeah, check those out if you're interested. And my season was number five, which focused on research impact. Uh, and some of the topics I covered included current and future effects of research impact on research culture, stuff around co-production and how to do that well, um, and how research impact culture is developing in New Zealand uh, and, and a lot of other topics. And uh, we both put our playlists. So if you're, you're interested in either or both of those, the playlists for those seasons are in the show notes. But the reason this is a bonus episode is because it really combines our two themes. And so we're delighted to be talking to Dr. Anya Harrison. Anya is currently a senior teaching fellow at King's College London, but really, the reason we are talking to her today is that she's also Chief Executive Officer of the Collaborative Library, which is an online platform dedicated to bringing scientific knowledge to everyone, providing a space for people to share lay summaries of research articles. Anya, welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Hi, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, and also, tiny update, I've actually been promoted to Programme Lead of Applied Neuroscience just like a couple of days ago. Congratulations. So <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, I'll have to go on your LinkedIn uh, and, and and share that as a, as a yes. I'm delighted to tell everybody. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Well, that's good news. That's good news. So, um, Anya, is the Collaborative Library is a startup um, and, and you're the chief executive. Um, we're going to do this as almost a, an elevator pitch, as if you were kind of looking for investment for a lot, from all our listeners out there. So can you tell them what is the Collaborative Library? What's it all about? Okay, let's see how, how good my elevator pitch is these days. So basically, science has a bit of a reputation. It's very complex uh, and quite reserved for a select few. But what if there was a place where scientific knowledge was broken down into quite understandable, accessible language for everyone? This effectively is the Collaborative Library. So it's an innovative online platform, which is designed to bridge a gap, and that is between scientific research and the wider public. We're really on a mission uh, to democratize science by inviting researchers, clinicians, service users, and students who 
I believe, are a greatly untapped resource when it comes to generating research outputs. And we want them to contribute video, audio and infographic, as well as lit written lay summaries of research articles. And by embracing quite a community driven approach, we're dismantling barriers to understanding and enabling collaboration and we're also hoping to reshape the way that we engage with science so anyone can learn connect and contribute to this platform and whether people are browsing accessible lay summaries or creating their own or even just giving us feedback to optimize our platform they're really helping us make science engaging and approachable brilliant so you you want real collaboration going on hence the hence the name so i wonder if you could yeah. tell us a little bit about how you manage the kind of quality control process there with it being so democratized. Yeah, that, that's a very uh, important aspect that we spend a lot of time agonizing over uh, in terms of optimizing it. So firstly, we only allow publication of summaries of peer-reviewed scientific research. That's the first layer. But then the second layer, uh, which is a bit more complex perhaps, is that it's only when an organization, uh, and that could be a charity, a uh, university, scientific society or healthcare trust or, or um, similar, only when they have signed up as a participating organization that then people affiliated with this organization can actually contribute lay summaries. And there's also different levels of contributors. So, for instance, students who might be completing lay summaries as part of an assessment, um, but they do not have any um, professional qualification. They would be classified as what we call uh, non-professional contributors, and they can only upload but not publish lay summaries. So these users would need to team up with a qualified person, so a professional uh, contributor or uh, who we uh, who we would basically refer to as a vetting professional, and they can then publish the uploaded um, lay summaries once they're happy with the content. Um, both authors will then have the name and their profiles attached to the uh, summary. So there's a there's a level of making sure that we can track back where the information came from. Uh, and the community can also request a review if they, for instance, think the summary needs to be reworked or there is a problem. Right. I'll, I'll hand over to Nick because I know he's he wants to get in on the open research side. Yeah, well, obviously. Um, no, that's really interesting. Thanks, Andrew. And um, having spoken to you a bit before and learned a little bit about the collaborative library, and in, in the context of my role, as, we, as we've been saying, it's uh, Jed and I are interested in collaborating together as well, you know, in terms of how our different areas overlap into overlap in terms of impact and openness being being part of that. So I suppose, I just wonder if you could say a little bit about how the Collaborative Library relates to perhaps the broader landscape of open research and, and open education, you know, open practice more, more, more generally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so open research aims to obviously make research outputs such as articles, data, methodologies, um, more openly available to the public. And the Collaborative Library really contributes to the open research movement by, well, providing a platform in the first instance. So where research findings are not only accessible to experts, but also translated into summaries that are quite understandable and useful across discipline and also to a broader audience. Um, in terms of open education, uh, this, the key element of that is obviously making educational resources and materials freely available to learners um, and ideally globally that. And that's exactly what we do. So we we contribute to open education by effectively offering not just the, the summaries of research articles, but also other educational materials around research and also the publication process. So, uh, for instance, resources explaining the quality of research studies um, and so on and so forth. And these summaries can be valuable uh, resources for educators, uh, students 
and also people that are self-learners who just want to understand the complex scientific concepts without really having to navigate all the jargon, which we know uh, is quite a big problem. Um, at, at this point, um, it's also worth mentioning that the platform is free, so that kind of like also falls neatly within uh, the open education definition here. Um, the last point you mentioned was open practice, wasn't it? Um, as I understand it, open practice refers to sort of sharing and collaborative development of resources and methods among professionals in, in various fields. And I think the collaborative library kind of pretty much embodies that by fostering collaboration amongst researchers, clinicians, uh, service users, and the general public. We're kind of a neat little nexus where everyone can potentially get involved. So you can suggest edits, you can provide feedback on lay summaries. And, and the idea in the longer run is to create like this really collaborative space where knowledge is refined through a collective effort. So the emphasis on is on community-driven content creation, and that obviously promotes open practices of collaboration, well, transparency, knowledge sharing, all those different elements. Um, we're also partnering up with a wide network of other organizations. So for instance, the Knowledge Equity Network, for example, um, and, and uh, those organizations that we do partner up with, they share the same values to create more aware awareness of open practice and all uh, relevant networks in this area. Um, the one thing that I have found when setting up links and talking to different people and even academics is that there is very little knowledge of the um, sort of of all the different uh, great open access platforms that there are available. And by partnering up, we also hope to increase their visibility and use. So in essence, we're kind of like trying to bridge a bit of a gap uh, between these interconnected areas. So promoting accessible research dissemination. Uh, inclusivity on an educational basis and then collaborative sharing okay great thanks and everything will be openly licensed uh, under yeah. creative commons for example that's correct yeah, yeah. Uh, and thank you for mentioning the knowledge equity network if listeners aren't aware of the knowledge equity network which um we have already established a partnership uh, with the collaborative library um it's an initiative out of the university of leeds looking at um, increasing collaboration across higher education so perhaps we can put something about that in the show notes as well um the other thing that I'm really interested in, which you've already alluded to, I think, is co-production and collaboration. I mean, um, as important aspects of open uh, research and open open practice. Uh, I know Jed's done some work on um, some of your podcasts have looked explicitly at co-production, haven't they, Jed? I was actually True. just listening to um, your podcast with Jihan Salim, am I saying her name right, on, in the car on the way to work this morning? Mm -hmm. um, That's and right. You, and you talk about in that a little bit about um, the interchanging concepts of what, um, you know, co-production even means and collaboration. Um, I don't know. Sorry, Chad, do you want to mention co-production from your perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Jihan was, uh, was saying it's uh, it's still a it's still a, a term that's experimental. You know, it's it's still something that's that's really evolving. And, and really, there's no um, there's no template that you can just you know pick up and apply into your research practice so so that was a that was an interesting thing out of her practice and and, and then I spoke to Bryony Thomas uh, about her specific way of applying co-production in a project that uh, that uh, that she was leading so yeah there's uh, we have a we have some content on co-production so dip into that if you're interested but again you know I suppose in, again you know, Jed and I come out from different directions but impact and open to like to that Wikimedia Wikipedia's argument is very collaborative as well so you've already alluded to this I think Anya but I don't know if you 
perhaps expand a little bit on the co-production aspects of, of the collaborative library? Yeah, gladly. Um, everyone that's ever worked with me will probably say that I'm a big fan of uh, co-production. Uh, that's probably what got me my program lead role, actually, because I, I, I'm doing a lot of co-production with my students uh, in my in my day job, so to speak. But um, as far as the collaborative library is concerned, um, I mean, obviously, it's about involving all the stakeholders in what we're trying to do here, which is creation of knowledge uh, and research outputs uh, ultimately, right? So researchers, practitioners, and other stakeholders such as experts by experience, students, uh, and so on and so forth. And I think it recognizes that the diverse perspectives and the expertise that comes from those different perspectives is really important to create comprehensive and relevant um, outcomes. Um, an open research co-production goes beyond the traditional academia and obviously involves a much broader community to ensure the research that is done is relevant, accessible, and also creates the impact. So within the collaborative library, I get, I guess co-production is what we're all about. So we're really inviting everyone to contribute to lay summaries of research articles. And we also recognize that we even want to like place special focus on diverse perspectives perspectives being really essential for making uh, scientific knowledge accessible um, and we're aligning everything that we do with the open practice principles of inclusivity and accessibility uh, even at this early stage so contributors and readers alike can really suggest edits uh, we, they can all provide feedback on summaries uh, there's a collaborative editing process that refines the content and, and kind of mirrors this open practice uh, element where professionals openly share and refine resources with an emphasis on the community engagement and, and the collaboration but the co-production aspect of the collaborative library extends beyond the content it hosts because it also includes how the, the the platform itself is run so we think it's quite important to involve di uh, a diverse working group in the design and development and maintenance of a platform because only if we involve loads of people from different uh, walks of life and with different backgrounds in terms of education and, and knowledge about science or lack thereof uh, quite frankly I think that will be important to create a, and, and help evolve the platform so we pretty much embody the principles of co-production. Um, we, we think this is not only going to enhance the functionality, but also will create a space where all the stakeholders are supposed to feel empowered and engaged and part of a larger effort. Okay, great, thanks. Uh, I've just put in mind of something you've said before that I'm not sure if you've referred to directly, but you talked then a little bit about, um, you didn't obviously collaborate with various different stakeholders, but students, um, is there some work around assessment as well and how it relates to yes. assessment yeah. with stu students, which I'm, I'm not sure if we'd... Um... If you'd mentioned that previously, I'm sorry, and, and whether you want no, to no, I've not, I've not mentioned it previously, but I think one of the key things that I think is is at the moment not really being catered to fantastically well is uh, what to do with students' assessments, right? So you have students that put a lot of effort into putting together assessments that are then being graded, taking up a lot of staff time. Um, but that's not really very often going anywhere. So what we say is, why don't we actually use lay summaries as an assessment process? Um, so effectively, we as the collaborative library would provide uh, assessment briefs, rubrics, so making it really easy for, for universities wanting to adopt the strategy. Uh, then the um, students produce the lay summaries as part of their assessment alongside with quality checklists. Uh, and then um, the best ones could get published. So that's a really neat way of harnessing students' work 
and their creativity, which we quite frankly know how uh, talented many students are these days with video, audio editing and those types of things in a bit of a TikTok generation uh, kind of way. And also it means that um, course leads and researchers could kind of like outsource the creation of valuable impact generating uh, lay summaries to um, uh, students working uh, on their assessments. So that is one way in which we're hoping to kind of like generate a, um, a, a constant stream uh, and influx of lay summaries in the longer run. Great, thanks. Yeah, I was just really interested in that from a sort of open education perspective, really, and it sort of aligns with some of the things we've been thinking about with Wikipedia as well. So there's there's a lot of work around sort of students actually producing, writing Wikipedia articles, for example, for assessment, that kind of thing. Um, Anyway, um, thank you, Daniel. I'll hand over, I think, for the next question to, to Jed. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And uh, and thanks, Annie. It's been really interesting. Um, Now, coming back, coming, focusing in on kind of research impacts, I'm just interested in how the tool might help with that. So I'm kind of thinking um, if there's a, if there's a researcher involved in, in, in some, in some work at one of your uh, partner organizations, how might they, I guess, kind of use the platform? Is there a way of using the platform in terms of knowing who might have accessed the lay summary and for what purpose? So for kind of like the evidence of, of impact in a sense. Yeah. So, but first of all, I think it's quite important to mention that obviously the Collaborative Library is a pretty new platform and is currently self-funded. So despite the recent launch, I think we've seen remarkable progress in the in a very short span of time uh, regarding sort of getting attention and support from, from quite an, a growing audience. We can help generate evidence to demonstrate the impact of, of, of researchers' work, how it's being shared, where it's being viewed. And at the moment, we have sort of a fairly uh, good but basic suite of analytics available. However, we're working on creating a more bespoke set, uh, which we will develop with the uh, higher education institutions, partnering up with impact tracking software providers going forwards. So, I mean, everyone will be aware that research impact is quite the complex topic. Uh, and we know how important it's going to be for the next draft uh, to become more and more uh, able to actually demonstrate it. So that is something that we're really focusing on. Um, our future impact suite will in all likelihood feature many things. Um, one of the key areas of impact that we have our eye on is capacity building and knowledge exchange. So viewing summaries will be contributing to obviously skills development uh, of an audience. Then instrumental and conceptual impact is uh, also something that we're looking at. So engagement, sharing data from the collaborative library will give us a bit of an insight uh, into how research is contributing to reframing debates on on things like policy issues and so on and so forth. Uh, And that could be evidenced through discussions or feedback generated by lay summaries that have been published via our platform. Um, in, in line with what I think we've discussed earlier, we can also certainly contribute to collaborative research impact. So, as I said, it, it, it kind of we, we embrace the co-production model and this sort of uh, collaborative work aligns really quite neatly with the ESRC's emphasis on co-productive research as well. Um, establishing networks and relationships, I think, is also quite key. And we tr- try to achieve that in the long run. So lay summarized research will be contributing to 
growth of networks and relationships. And we could, for instance, track these types of things through um, looking at um, where people are connected, followers, interactions on the platform that can uh, indicate an expansion of, of, of an impact net network. And also academic impact um, is something that we uh, would like to help generate. So metrics on how lay summaries are contributing to shift and understanding across disciplines. Um, so this includes tracking how often lay summary content is accessed by whom and how many readers engage with it and whether it sparks discussion or further exploration in other places. So, for instance, we, um, as mentioned and, and, and asked about earlier, uh, all our um, content comes with an open license. So when others then build on it, they can then sort of make sure that they uh, uh, give us the attributions and then we can track it across the Internet. Um, so that's all I can think of. For now, but in, in summary, we're basically developing the metrics uh, related to engagement and sharing and discussions and collaborative uh, interactions on the platform uh, and can then collectively provide a bit of a more comprehensive picture as time passes of how the research is contributing to the different levels of impact. However, naturally, we will need organizations like, for instance, the University of Leeds or King's College London and so on and so forth uh, to commit to signing up and start sharing the students' amazing work before we can move forward with any of this. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's really important in terms of all of these platforms are great, but if usage doesn't happen, then the primary purpose disappears, doesn't it? I, I was interested uh, in kind of the next question in terms of thinking about all those different tools, just kind of disseminational tools and platforms that are that are available to, to people and, and researchers. So, for instance, kind of writing their own policy briefs and, uh, and I know the university, you know, our own university has a... Um, has a database of policy briefs that that uh, that we that we support, and then there's places like the conversation and the more traditional um, social media platforms, Twitter or X or whatever it's now called, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then there's obviously on the open research side of things, there's the preprint servers. Nick mentioned Octopus and I think Science Open as well earlier on. So I was interested in terms of how the collaborative library fits into this kind of. Um, what feels like quite a large and crowded landscape. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess we have a lot of what you might call unique selling points uh, if, if you compare it to other platforms. I mean, first of all, we're community driven with a, with a real focus on celebrating diversity and kind of really fostering that element. Um, secondly, uh, and we've mentioned it already briefly, we're offering students the possibility to produce valuable research outputs. So many universities, as I said, already ask students to produce lay summaries and assessments. However, don't, those don't get published. And then anyone ever involved in running uh, large university programs knows how much time it takes grading these. Uh, and to make it easy, obviously, we would be in, like offering the whole assessment pack uh, alongside as well. So this would mean that um, by only just tweaking their assessment processes ever so slightly, universities could start publishing hundreds of internally controlled and letted, vetted lay summaries without really generating lots of additional work. Um, which is something that really separates us from other platforms uh, and is quite neatly in line with the re recent educational trends in the assessment um, sort of literature, which is authenticity and uh, making sure that things are really inclusive as well, because 
we're off that would also include offering other uh, different types of options for students so they could be producing lay summaries in written audio or video format and and following on from this point um we actually encourage multimedia summaries so not just written lay summaries which is something that is kind of predominant at the moment still um mm. we also don't just store the summaries without any context which is something that we have seen uh, on other platforms but instead we provide materials that will help users understand the quality of the summarized studies with lay checklists something that we deem is quite important in light of all the misinformation out there online um and we're also actively disseminating the summaries on our youtube channel mm. uh, and pretty much every other social media outlet you can think of uh, to make it more discoverable and and, and increase the impact um, and i guess what's important to say is that we're not really trying to replace any of the other existing platforms or duplicate work in that sense but instead bridge a gap uh, and create a bit of a hub or like a one-stop shop, if you will, uh, to improve connection between the different existing networks and other uh, efforts. Um, and, and we're working on integrating our platform with all the existing services, such as Impact Trackers, I think I mentioned, yeah. Open Access and preprint repositories we're on uh, on the ball right there, right now. And um, obviously the platform is completely free of charge, uh, which is also something that isn't like every platform. So we're kind of trying to give back to contributors um, in the way of rewards as well in the longer run, which is hopefully a double win. So that's kind of how we're, we're a bit separate, I guess. That's great. Yeah, it's a, it's great that you're thinking about kind of reducing that burden. I mean, yeah. you're you're in the system as well as providing a, a platform to to people in the academic system, so you know the pressures everybody is under. Yeah, Nick, Nick, you want to come in with us with something? I just wondered, sorry to interrupt, but uh, um, you've alluded a couple of times, Andy, to the fact that it's free of charge. I don't know if you want to just say a, a little bit of about how how it's funded, um, because that yeah. might sound a little bit too good to be true to, uh, <laughs> to, to our listeners. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, in the first instance, the, the, the web page and everything is kind of a bit homemade. So we, we have essentially created the space ourselves and it's, it's now running with our web team on a, on, a, on a basis that we can just sustainably carry on until the big sort of like uh, influx of lay summaries then ultimately starts. We're also in the process um, of applying for some funding. Obviously, at some point that will um and uh, that will be made public as well but we're currently uh working on that the main key business model uh this uh, platform will adopt is a youtube model so all the audio and video lay summaries will be hosted on our channel so if you listen to this and feel uh charitable then perhaps subscribe because that would bring our uh, uh audience up and would mean that we can uh, work towards uh, making sure that we can uh fund and give back to uh the people contributing to our platform in the longer run we also have some other income screen uh, income streams such as like um having some ads uh, of like for instance con uh, content creation supporting software and those types of things on the side strip on our web page but these are all hand selected and kind of like very much in line with what we're trying to do um and that way in the longer run we'll be able to kind of um continue the, the website has been very neatly designed um with a few uh clever ways of making sure that we can keep it running for a very long time before we really need to upgrade it so i'm very confident that we'll be able to manage that that's great Thank yeah thanks thanks for coming in with that uh that question nick and um 
kind of final one for me in terms of um in terms of thinking about this you probably you know you, this you are a startup you're trying to generate uh usage and and universities signing up with you to kind of use it with their uh with students researchers uh, people at all levels of the institution so i'm just interested in terms of the cultural barriers you've faced in trying to kind of pitch into the sector in terms of hey hey i'm here and i'm going to be useful for you so uh, is there anything that that you've noticed that uh, that have really kind of you've needed to kind of argue with and kind of get around Oh, yes. Uh, it's interesting because I think I came in rather naively thinking, well, this is free and we're trying to do this good thing and everyone surely will be interested. But um, as Nick rightly pointed out, I think the fact that it offers a free access to something leads to quite a bit of well potential su suspicions around the quality or perhaps the intentions of the platform. So some people may wonder how can a free platform provide something that's valuable and also maintain the high standards and and I guess university universities and academic institutions often seek endorsement from regulatory bodies or internal approval before adopting new platforms right so we're working on that with great success currently but the barrier lies in the need to demonstrate the positive impact and benefits before we can gain support from them uh, which is a bit of a hard one to do without the initial buy-in if you see what I mean mm. um, another point is maybe more relevant to some disciplines than others uh, but the research culture has traditionally focused on individual achievements and specialized expertise so embracing a bit more of a well, quite a bit more of a collaborative approach to knowledge sharing as we encourage it might also require a bit of a, a cultural shift which um, we know can sometimes be a bit difficult um, and also in academia recognition also often comes through the traditional metrics so citations impact factor and these types of things and new platforms like ours obviously need a bit of time to grow and might not immediately neatly fit into these metrics mm -hmm. causing a bit of hesitation amongst researchers especially who have very limited time and are already probably quite frankly overwhelmed with the amount of different platforms there are available but as we've already discussed I think researchers and, and, and stakeholders often have very limited time and resources so engaging with new platforms might quite frankly be seen as an additional burden so that's that's why we're currently producing some case studies um at, at king's college uh but also at kingston to demonstrate uh the benefits um one thing that i think i would like to kind of shoehorn in here a bit is that we know also universities are quite curious about the potential of, of ai generated lay summaries uh, of research articles um and and why while we know that AI has the capability to generate it and it's probably going to get better over time, I think it's important to emphasize the value of platforms like ours, um, which goes beyond simple automation. I mean, it doesn't mean that we will never have any plans to kind of like work with AI in a more blended way. But I think it's it's important to kind of say it's not just about having the repository sitting there and ready and, and waiting for people to look at, but it's, it's about the community driven educational effort here. So it's a tool aiming to bring together science and I guess human artistic expression. I mean, for instance, like at King's when I did my um, the, the case study trial, uh, there were a couple of videos that were submitted that were so excellent that I was like quite gutted that we couldn't publish them straight away. So I think it serves as a bit of a space where researchers and, 
and the public and practitioners and students and all these different stakeholders can engage with research findings uh, and 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 it goes beyond the generation of the summary as an output it involves understanding discussing refining something and and anyone who's ever tried to explain something quite complex in easy terms will agree how how much of an, a difficult thing it can be so it's kind of the, the the human touch that we hope will ensure that they're not only understandable lay summaries but also that we can maintain the integrity of, of research and uh, that it, they represent. And um, that obviously also comes with uh, greater accountability. Um, yeah. I actually also think that the significant of, of the collaborative library also extends to a role of educating kind of the next generation of researchers because it's a collaborative platform it, it cultivates skills in effective communication critical analysis and also interdisciplinary uh, collaboration which we know sometimes um it is not really looked at as essential skills which i would like to disagree with i think it's actively engaging discussions co-creating contents uh I, which is going to be uh, important in, in the long run um, so it, it kind of provides a practical and participatory learning experience uh, that is that equips, if you would like to call them, our emerging researchers with essential skills. Um, so basically, we're kind of more than a tech solution. It's, we're, we're trying to create more of an ecosystem that will harness both sort of the, the human side of things, but also the technological capabilities that are growing um, and empowering individuals to understand with and, and, and engage with. Uh, and quite frankly, also contribute to research. So that is kind of what we're trying to do. Uh, and you mentioned uh, the kind of differences of between disciplines. Um, so just a clarification question: you you kind of mentioned science research. Is it is that the uh, is that the focus of the platform, or is uh, you kind of, is it fully open to whatever discipline, arts, humanities, social sciences, etc.? Um, so I'm intrigued to see how it develops. So it is open to anyone and we would like to encourage anyone uh, who is interested in, in in getting on board. We have um, in our working group a few um, people that are from quite a different uh, background in terms of education. So we've got um, someone who is actually in the humanities, then we've got some people who are in arts, we've got some um, um, people who are in, in wildly different areas and for some of them they said oh actually having lay summary in, in our area isn't the thing yet so we hope that that's something that we can actually start introducing a bit more um, so we have no limits but we assume that because of the, the need for a bit of a cultural shift sometimes uh, to, to happen before people start contributing to it, I would assume that maybe sort of the harder sciences, the health sciences might be quickest to move in. But uh, that doesn't mean that I'm not hopeful that many more will join. Sure, yeah, it's often the case that there's early adopters and later adopters, and that depends on all sorts of reasons for, for that. I'm going to hand over to Nick. Yeah, thanks. And what I think is our final question, actually, that follows on from some of the things you've already been saying. Um, really just to ask where you are up to in engaging universities and partners across the sector. I mean, we've already had a few discussions about um, leads signing up potentially. But again, you know, that free thing is uh, an interesting question because, you know, we have a tender process and we need to go through a million and one sort of questions, you know, who are your competitors? It might be questions about 
GDPR or, you know, um, and then, well, it's free. It doesn't kind of fit with, with that model and then some of the suspicion you alluded to or, or that kind of thing. So I suppose, first of all, where are you up to engaging universities and partners and how can people get involved um, with what you're doing? Um, and so I'm probably a bad practice to throw many, so many questions at you. We can go back through them, but where do you see this platform and the related agendas of open and impactful research in, in 10 years? So there's a lot of questions there. I should have asked them one at a time, but there you go. We will see how, how I go. You can always prompt me if I forget something very obvious. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm very glad to say that we, we're now really making some great progress in getting universities and partners on board. So even though, as you said, our idea and and, and, and approach of making it free and then potentially even like having money come back their direction um, is something that universities haven't really encountered before. So as you are, uh, right it makes it really difficult to find the right people to talk to um, however we've been in touch with both Russell Group universities and non-Russell Group universities and we're excited um, about our trials with three universities um, to assess how the platform can measure impact and optimize assessment and, and those types of things um, one of these trials has already shown very promising results which is very uh, encouraging and fantastic. I mean, the students absolutely loved it and it was the large um, uh, course that that was carried out on as well. Um, we've presented our work at the UK Core, which is a network for people managing repositories recently, uh, but also other relevant um, networks. And, and what we're seeing is that more inquiries are starting to come our way, which is quite exciting. Um, however, we're not just engaging universities. We're also getting very positive feedback and signups from charities and professional organizations. And we're offering as part of sort of the incentive of being an early adopter um, for those more innovative um, sort of organizations. We're, we're running free masterclasses for them and we're trying to help them make the most of the platform and, and also help with engagement within their communities. Um, for instance, we've got a few webinars and conferences lined up this year, later this year to set to sort of share our insights and engage with the wider community so in in october we will be hosted by the ukrn to talk a bit about ai versus people generated lay summaries um, and we're also in talks with regulatory bodies such as for instance the the uh, british psychological society uh, and, and and funding bodies to build sort of stronger relationships that benefit everyone and will then hopefully also uh, instill more uh, trust in us i guess looking ahead um, 10 years from now, we envision um, the Collaborative Library becoming a really dynamic hub, hub at the heart of open and impactful research. So it's not just about sharing research summaries, it's about empowering students and researchers to, well, master the art of effective communication to ultimately enhance science. And I, I think our aim is to provide the skills and knowledge that extend beyond the traditional uh, academic boundaries. So if, if anyone would like to get involved or share their thoughts on our platform, then they can always email us um, to either uh, give the feedback or get more information from us. We're also always looking for new people to join our brilliant working group. Um, or perhaps if if uh, someone listening to this thinks, oh, great, my organization would be very interested in joining um, the collaborative library to enable members to upload content, then we'd love to hear from them too. So they can check us out on our website, which is uh, thecollaborativelibrary.com, or send us an email to hello at thecollaborativelibrary.com. Um, and we'd be glad to hear from everyone. Great. Thank you very much. I mean, yeah, really interested, you know, in that 10 years thing. And what we're really all trying to do, I think, is move or change research culture, isn't it? I mean, this is about 
research culture. Uh, you know, with a lot of work at Leeds around research culture and actually trying to make it more collaborative and not focused on the traditional H index and journal impact factors and all that kind of thing, and actually for the benefit of, of science. So unless you've got any final thoughts, Jed? Um, just just uh, a couple of... Um, we, we, we did do a bit of a UK uh, acronym fest. Really? So Research Excellence Framework was the ref. And I think we also said ESRC, which is the Economics and Social Sciences Research Council. And Anya, do you want to say what the UK RN is? Oh, yeah, it's the uh, UK uh, Reproducibility Network. Yeah. I, I think I, I left out a letter there, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so just to make sure our uh, our international listeners yes. can... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we perhaps need a lay summary for... for all yeah, a lay summary for our... Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, dear, huh? I didn't get that one in lay summary language, did I? <laughs> So, um, yeah, thank you very much, Anya, for the interview, for talking to us today. And uh, we'll see you again sometime. And uh, over to you, Jed, to say goodbye as well. Yeah, thanks a lot, Anya. It's been really lovely to talk to you. And uh, I'll leave you to say goodbye to all our listeners. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I'm looking forward to uh, ongoing collaboration in the future. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.